Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So now is the time for the Dharma talk. And to begin with, particularly because I haven't actually been here for a long time, maybe we'll start at a question of what is Dharma? So Dharma is uh, teachings of the Buddha, so this particular historical person as uh, depicted in this statue. So particular person who lived in northern India, 6th century BC. But also a translation of Dharma is uh, as nature or the truth of the way things are. And according to this, as a story of the the life of the Buddha, he uh, was someone who had lived a very pleasant and good life, like his family was wealthy. But then at some point he had some kind of existential questions about life. And according to the story, um, when he was uh, born, his uh, parents had an astrologer come who said, um, your son will either be a great king, or kind of like lord, like the family was, um, or he'll be a religious leader. And so the dad wanted him to do what the family was up to, and be rich and uh, enjoy pleasant things and stuff, like many parents want their kids to be molded in their image. So he basically said, like, I'm going to make everything as great as possible here so he will have no incentive to do anything whatsoever except follow along here. It's just like the you know, path of least resistance. So he had good food and music and had some like, um, harem and he had a lot of free time and he played sports and he enjoyed himself and everything. But then, according to the story, for some reason... Karma. Uh, he had some uh, inkling, like, well, what's outside these walls? What's outside these castle walls? So he asked to go out on an outing. And in the story, the family was very like resistant to this. But then finally, he's in- he kept insisting he wants to go. So then they arranged everything in the particular path he was going to go out to be like perfect. So kind of like if uh, foreign dignitaries come to town here, or uh, I think when we had the Super Bowl here in San Francisco the last time they did this, sweep the streets, get rid of uh, all the people who look sick or homeless or poor or ill or anything. So all we want to see is shiny, happy people, all right, Uh, wealth, and that's it. So they tried to do this, and then the Buddha went out with his uh, charioteer, looked around, everyone's waving, you know, happy, happy. But then he sees in the distance, like, someone uh, who is, like, all stooped over and walking slowly, and he's like, well, what's up with that person? And then the charioteer was like, oh, that's an old person. You know, that happens to all of us. And the Buddha's like, whoa, well, take me back, take me back. It's like, think about this, like, whoa, it happens to all of us. 
everyone's going to get old. So far, he's only been surrounded by like good-looking young people, you know, pretty people. Kind of like on TV or something, right? Then he's like, no, no, I want to go out again. So then go out again, same thing, clean the streets, put only shiny, happy people waving, goes along. But then at some point, he sees someone who looks very sick. You know, they they do not look good. They're like coughing, sputtering, gross stuff coming out of their orifices, not looking good. And he asks the charioteer, like, well, what's with that person? And he says, oh, that person's sick. He's like, what do you mean sick? He says, well, you know, she's got some illness. Like, it can happen to anyone. He's like, oh, my gosh, what? Then he's taking me back. So he goes back, Castle, brooding on this for a while. Has to go out a third time. Third time he goes out, same drill. And this time he actually sees in the distance uh, a funeral. So they're carrying a corpse, this funeral. So laid out, stiff body. Uh, so then he's like, well, what's that? And the, the charioteer says, oh, that's a corpse. Oh, it's a dead, dead person, person who's died. He says, what do you mean? He says, oh, you know, happens, will happen to everyone. Everyone's going to die, and then they're going to be buried, and yeah, that's it. So it's like, whoa. They didn't tell me about this. Right? So then he's like, take me back. So he goes back again, and then... Uh, after a while, he wants to go out a fourth time, and in this fourth time, it's uh, said that he saw a renunciate. So there's actually, like, in um, India at that time, there was, like, a, a class of people who had given up their earthly possessions and who were kind of truth seekers, so in robes with a bowl kind of going around. So then he asked, what's with that person? Tarotir said, this is a truth seeker. You know, this is a spiritual aspirant. So then he was like, ding, okay. Then he went back and uh, eventually he decided to go out and become a spiritual aspirant himself and seek the answers to this question. Like, what does this life mean uh, if there's old age and sickness and death? You know, what, what is it all about? Where is it going? Like, what's the, what's the meaning of this? What are we supposed to do? You know, like, there's suffering in this life, and inevitable. And this, in some ways, is kind of the, the seed of the, the Buddhist path, is uh, this recognition that, in some way, this um, truth of the way things are includes, on a fairly seemingly mundane level, but also a level that we probably don't get the deepest level, that we are vulnerable as beings who have taken birth, as human beings, to getting sick, to getting old, and to dying. And then to a whole host of other stuff in between there, you know, of ups and downs of life. Like everything that you gain, you could lose, uh, and fortune is sometimes favoring you, sometimes not. Sometimes people like you, they don't like you other times, you know, all this stuff. So, uh, Everything is changing, and there's no security to be found in this uh, material world in a certain way. So the part of the Dharma is a recognition of the way things are. And uh, one perspective on Dharma practice, both the formal meditation or like the thing that you're doing with your book group, the uh, Dharma book group, is uh, 
kind of like trying to understand on deeper and deeper level, like what's actually true about this life and how can I live in harmony with that? Right? How can I live in a way that makes sense uh, in alignment with what is true? So the more that we're able to recognize what's actually true about this life, uh, about this body, uh, about this world, about others, about our lot here, our predicament as humans, you could say, then the more that we're able to uh, understand that, live in harmony with that, and not in some ways try to go against the grain of what's actually true. The more we try and go against the grain of that, the more that we find uh, friction, suffering, difficulty, uh, dukkha is the term uh, Buddha used for this. So we learn to live in harmony with this, and uh, the good news is that this dharma, that which is there for us to discover and which leads us through towards increasing levels of ease, peace of mind, happiness, freedom, liberation, uh, enlightenment, is there in every moment to be discovered. So it's not like esoteric philosophy cooked up by this guy 2,600 years ago that you now have to memorize mm, arcanely and stuff like that. So it's, it is something that it's helpful to learn some dimensions of, like frameworks, but then really that you can apply them. You can apply them to your life. Like you can kind of practice with your life as a lab to see, is this true? And then you can see through your own experience uh, what is true about nature, about our life, about the truth of the way things are, you could say, and verify that for yourself. So you don't have to believe it because Howie said it, or I said it, or the Dalai Lama said it, or is in this book by Joseph Goldstein, or you know, Jack Cornfield, <laughs> anything like that. You can kind of take what you hear as like hypothesis and then apply that, see if, it's, if it makes sense, if it's really true. So the good news about that too is that there's different ways in which we have over time learned about nature, you could say. So this translation of Dharma as nature, I like a lot. So we've learned to, to, to understand nature and to live in harmony with it. And the simplest one of this, uh, or a simple aspect of this, you could say that um, we don't know when we're born is, for example, understanding the law of gravity. So uh, when babies are born, uh, they may not know about this. And I recently visited a cousin of mine who has a one-year-old and who was uh, deep in the experimentation phase with this uh, law of gravity. So basically was in the high chair and um, was being uh, fed, and this is like the first child, and so they had like a whole team of parents, grandparents, aunties, uncles, like, you know, like trying to make them eat the right food and like making sure they're okay and all this stuff. So, um, but part of their interest was like tossing things off the high chair to see, you know, what happened. And um, so I will now demonstrate. So for example, you know, it's like, like, whoa, what happened? Like, oh, it falls to the ground, right? And then it's like, what happens if you do it on this side? Like, yep, same thing. What if you're not looking and you do it, you know? Like, same thing. So after a while, you get the pattern, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh, if I drop something, then it's going to fall to the ground. And I don't need to understand 
why that is in some ways. Like, I don't need to understand the mathematical equation for it. I don't have to understand if somebody is actually running that or not, you know. Uh, I just need to understand the patterning of that and then learn to live in accordance with that. So once I have, then I will know that if I want to place a cup of tea, it's better not to place it in midair, because if I do, it will fall, splash. The brave people in the front row cause a mess and all that stuff. So better I place it here. And then if by chance sometimes, you know, accidentally something happens, this falls, then it's not as big a deal for me. Like, I don't need to fret about it and be like, why did that happen to me? Why now? Why? Why? Because I've understood this as a pattern. Like, this is just a way things work in uh, nature, you could say. So I don't need to take it personally. I don't need to stress out about it. I don't need to, like, spend a lot of time ruminating about it. I can just, like, you know, pick it up, put it back, and then kind of continue along. So similarly, you could say the Dharma, you know, these teachings of the Dharma are... Uh, aspects of nature that we haven't yet figured out and that uh, at the moment we're kind of like bumping into we're like knocking things around we're creating messes we're fretting why me why now you know all this stuff and and they go from you know fairly seemingly obvious things at least intellectually but still that we haven't really gotten uh, to you know, somewhat more complex or uh, things that are on the surface a little harder to uh, get a handle on. But the, some of the ones that I, I thought about talking about today is some um, list called the Five Recollections, Five Daily Recollections. Uh, maybe Howie has talked about these. And this is from uh, one sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya, a collection of suttas, collection of Buddhist teachings in which um, they actually have arranged them by the number of things in the list that the Buddha uh, gives in that teaching. So in this one, it's in the Book of Fives, because it's five recollections. And these are actually recollections that are done in monasteries, um, in Buddhist monasteries like all over the world. So it's actually encouraged for us to Uh, reflect on these, think about them, uh, keep them in mind. And they're a little bit um, counter to what we're encouraged to think about in society, as you'll see uh, when I say them. So the first three are actually related to the uh, story that I told you of the Buddha going out into the world. So the first one is, I am of the nature to get old. I have not gone beyond aging. Next one, I am of the nature to get ill. I have not gone beyond illness. The next one is, I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond death. So we'll start with that couplet of three of them. And there's kind of different ways that they're said sometimes. And I think as long as you get the meaning of them, you could say them in some way that works for you. So if that wording doesn't work, um, I copied some other wordings that are sometimes used, like, I'm of the nature to grow old. There's no way to escape growing old. Uh, I'm of the nature to have ill health. 
there is no way to escape having ill health. I'm of the nature to die, there's no way to escape death. So, you know, it may seem on the surface like a very not cheerful uh, recollection to do every day. (laughs) Uh, So why would you want to think about this? So one is because it's actually true, right? (laughs) Because it's actually true, and because a lot of the times, even though you know, probably no one would disagree with that, what I said so far, uh, of those first three. We don't live as if that's true, right? We don't live as if we know, like, I could get sick at any time, and not just, like, a head cold or something like that. Like, you know, any calamity can befall this body. Like, we are not infallible, you know? Um, I've lived in this neighborhood for a long time, uh, about 17 years or so, and um, mostly I like walk around and take public transport and stuff. And um, I was thinking as I was walking around today, like I passed a number of different corners in which I've seen accidents happen, like over the last 17 years, you know, like car accidents or bike accidents or, you know, different ways in which like people get hurt. And it's like the, I mean, the whole world is like this, right? Is like there's an overlay of, of like, oh, this is a place where someone got hurt. This is a place where someone died, you know. Uh, we don't see it all the time, um, but it's there. You know, it's sort of like these, there were these ghostly reminders. It's like, oh, yeah. And sometimes you see them around the city that people have put, um, like, flowers where someone has died, or for a while there was the painting of the ghost bikes, right? Like, um, people would put a white bicycle where there was uh, bicycle fatality, uh, in a place, it was like a reminder. Like, in modern, like urban American uh, situation, there's not a lot of uh, seeing of uh, death on a daily basis. Like we're not actually encouraged to uh, remember this, recollect this. So part of the idea is like, oh yeah, align myself with the truth of the way things are. You know, that this is true. And so if this is true, yeah, what's important to me? How do I want to live my life? Like given that time is actually limited. So a corollary corollary reflection sometimes is that uh, only death is inevitable. The time of death and method of death is not known. So that, uh, yeah, we don't know how or when we're going to die. You know, we think maybe vaguely in our mind, like, yeah, I'll be like 90 years old, laid out nicely in a beautiful church like this with flowers and music and candles and uh, loved ones. But, you know, you don't know, right? Like, none of us know. I don't know for myself. And interestingly, with life, it's like uh, there's some people who want to live who die, and then there's some people who want to die who live. So it's not in our control, you know, kind of like this this anatta, this like the selflessness of it. There's this life force and there's different causes and conditions and um,
this struck me also recently because um, both a, f a friend of mine from college uh, passed away. Uh, so she was like a little older than me, like in early 50s. Um, and I don't know actually even the way that she died yet. But um, yeah, I have not spoken to her for probably like 25, 30 years. Um, but it struck me. I was like, oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, you don't know when the last time is you'll see someone, when you last get to, see some, to talk to someone. And then also it kind of struck me this uh, thing. Sometimes when celebrity dies, there's like an interesting like, societal phenomenon. So, uh, you know, there was a helicopter crash and like famous basketball player died. And I saw these messages that was like, I was like, wow, people are surprised that this guy died. And I mean, it is surprising when someone dies younger or, you know, there's an accident or something. But it was almost like, wow, yeah, this is a reminder that um, we need to recollect this. You know, like it, one can be sad or disappointed or, you know, something like that. But it shouldn't be a surprise in some ways that accidents happen or that, you know, in this case, someone who was um, wealthy or successful or famous or at some point, like, incredibly um, healthy and athletic. Like, even all of that stuff is not any kind of, like, insurance that you're not going to die. Yeah, none of that. Like, no amount of money, no amount of Hall of Fame-ness or <laughs> good-lookingness or, you know, any of that stuff. Like, no one is immune from that. So it's good to remember that, you know, not to make yourself like depressed and frantic, but actually just to, to remember that this is true. And so like, how do I want to live my life? How do I want to treat people? You know, what's important uh, in this life? What's important uh, today? And it can put things into perspective, right? Even in kind of a mundane way about some like fight that you have with someone. It also can help if you remember this, not just for yourself, but for everyone else around you. You know, it's like, oh, that person is also going to die. Yeah. Not in a, like, good, that person who cut me off in traffic, they're going to die, you know. <laughs> but actually just remembering, in some ways, like, the frailty of all of us. You know, there's, there's a frailty and a, a tenderness that can come from that. Like, all of us are, are knocking around in this world in this way, and this metta that we did, this wishing of goodwill is also from the perspective that, yeah, all of us really, like, yearn to be happy. You know, like, we, we want peace. We want to be safe. We would like to live with ease. You know, every single person. And yet we don't totally know how to make that happen, you know. So even the most annoying people around you, like, you could say in some way, like, they're also trying to do that. <laughs> they're trying to be happy. They're trying to, like, uh, create a sense of ease, even if it's in a very misguided way, you know. And they're also subject to uh, this forces of old age, sickness, and death. Right? Like, it's all only going one way, you know. Especially with the aging thing, right? <laughs> I was thinking in the, if one had a sort of smart-alecky mind, uh, when I said it in the way, I'm the nature to grow old, there's no way to escape growing old. You could say, like, sure you could. You could die. Right? <laughs> but, no, okay. Um, 
but really could notice like what aspects of aging come upon you as disappointments. You know, that, that's really like one translation of dukkha, you could say, is like, oh, there's disappointment that we face when we don't understand how things are. And if we do understand how things are, then it can be like, oh yeah, okay, that happened, but it's minus the like, why me, why now? You know, it's like the, oh, okay, now I need to get glasses, now I need to get hearing aid, right? Now I can run less than I could before, or something like that. Still, it's totally good to take care of oneself and, you know, all of that stuff. It's not to be, become, like, despondent, like, you know, I'm going to get old and sick anyway, so I'll just, like, make my diet be, like, all candy or something like that, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, recollection. You could, yeah, kind of be honest with yourself of, yeah, to what extent do I actually get that on a daily basis? To what extent am I living with an understanding that hmm, I'm going to die? I don't know when. And so are uh, everyone around me. So now that the fourth and fifth recollections are um, connected, but take it to another level, you could say. So the fourth one is... uh, variously translated as I will grow different and separate from all that is dear and appealing to me or it could be uh, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change there is no way to escape being separated from them so everything and everyone that you love is of the nature to change and there's no way to escape that change. There's even, even to be more dramatic, this, there's no way to escape being separated from them at some point. So see the previous one of everyone's going to die, right? And then with possessions, it's that everything decays and changes. Yeah. So it's helpful to recognize that too, you know, to appreciate the things that you have and appreciate the people that you have in your life when they're there. You know, knowing that, like, that could end at any time. And even if you, let's say, like, you stay, you get married and you stay married to the same person for, like, 50 years, and then you die at the exact same moment, in the exact same, like, sudden wreck in which there's no pain or anything, right? Uh, Still, even during that whole life, during those 50 years, like, you have grown and changed a lot. Like, you're not married to the same 20-year-old when you're 70, you know, and you're not the same person uh, either, too. I mean, even with San Francisco, you can see this. So many of you long-time residents might uh, recognize this, right? (laughs) All that is beloved to me will change, (laughs) and not in ways that are in my control all the time, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that it's not good to try to influence things like in that change uh, in a positive way, but uh, it's like, yeah, it's not 1975 anymore, is it? You know, right? Like, in the extent to which like we cling to that, uh, like we'll suffer. 
I noticed that, I think because I was you know, going to give these recollections and walking around today also, I noticed like people on all kinds of new vehicles today, right? Like on, um, like the one, I don't even know the names of all of them, right? Like the one big fat wheel kind of skateboardy thingy. And then, um, you know, of course, all the little scooters and then all sorts of electric bikes. I saw a new one I hadn't seen before that looked like a giant like erector set. It was kind of like full like this, it opened. The wheels were very small like this. Uh, and um, there was a tiny seat on it. This guy was like perched at the traffic light. And then, you know, and I asked him, does it fold? And he kindly got off and showed me it folds up. And then, then the light changed and he like buzzed away. <laughs> so yeah, everything's changing, you know, and um, some for the better, some for the worse, some is just, you know, it's change. But um, it's good to recognize that and, and notice like, yeah, everything that is dear to me, all of my possessions, uh, all of the things, all the relationships subject to change and eventually will end. Now the last one probably deserves its own whole Dharma talk. Um, and it's about uh, karma, the teaching of karma. So about cause and effect. So uh, I'll just share it with you for the sake of completion, and then um, we could have some questions about it, or you could ask Howie about it next time he comes to you. you know. um, so there's various ways it's articulated, but um, some of the, the ways are like, I am the owner of my actions, heir to my actions, born of my actions, related through my actions, and I have actions as my inheritance. Whatever I do, wholesome or unwholesome, to that I will be the heir. Or here's another, another version of this. Um, my deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. So what is that one talking about? So that one is uh, reflecting some aspect of the teaching that the state of heart and mind through which we do any kind of uh, action or speech um, plants a seed, you could say. And those seeds can come to fruition in, one, in your own mind or also uh, in the world. Um, based on the uh, type of seed that is planted. So this metaphor that's often given is about um, you know, planting a different kind of plants. Like if you plant a seed for a, uh, let's say, um, magnolia tree, under the right conditions of water and fertilizer and so on, it will grow into a magnolia tree and it will bear magnolia flowers like some of the ones we have uh, at the top of Dolores Park and around about the city. Right? It's never going to turn into like a rosebush or um, olive tree or something like that. Now, it also might not bloom if it doesn't get uh, the water and the fertilizer and air and all that stuff. Right? Likewise, let's say uh, if you plant a seed for a thorn bush, if that seed gets the proper moisture and uh, fertilizer and so on, it's going to grow into a thorn bush. And that's it. It's not going to grow into a magnolia tree 
or apple tree uh, or anything like that because of that seed that's going to come up thorny. So the, the teaching on that is uh, encouragement to notice uh, this kind of wholesome, unwholesome, skillful, unskillful, and kind of goes to your question about the um, metta, the cultivation of metta, and like what place it has in our practice. So it is considered um, an important dimension of the broader path, this eightfold path, or you could say kind of like path of human development to attend to that. The first level of um, developing mindfulness is more just like to know like, oh, is there an emotion present, right? Is there a thought present? Is there a body sensation present, right? It's just like kind of ABC basically, like learning what's what. And then kind of like observing how that plays out, how that interacts, how this world gets created, right? And as part of that, then there is a dimension that's like discerning between that which is helpful and that which is unhelpful. Uh, And sometimes the word used is like skillful, unskillful. Um, Or I did use this kind of wholesome, unwholesome, uh, which is probably the, you know, sort of like more judgmental sort of terms. But this is partly like what you could check out yourself. So if I'm in these states of, you know, generosity, kindness, love, compassion, uh, what is it like when I speak and act? What's it like in my thinking? What's it like when I'm just sitting here? And then when these other states come up of like uh, hatred, fear, jealousy, mm, murderous rage, obsession, uh, what's it like when I speak from those or act from those? Or even what's it like when I'm just sitting here by myself and that's what's like coursing through the system? So check it out. The Buddha is saying these ones are helpful and these ones are unhelpful. So cultivate these and let go of these. And this thing about being the heir, it, it's a kind of a clever corollary to the fourth one, which says, you know, like you could own things or think that you own things, but you don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know if it's going to get stolen from you. Like, you know what's going to happen with that. You think you're written into someone's will and they could change their mind. You don't know, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> your karmic inheritance, basically like that which you have cultivated in your own heart and mind, uh, of that you will surely be the heir. So, uh, on that somewhat cryptic and solemn note, (laughs) I'll leave you with the Dharma and thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.